0: This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we hear from a Honolulu businessman about weathering the economic turmoil in Hong Kong. We first talked to Johnson Choi in the fall as he was heading to Hong Kong to connect with his customers who were dealing with a drop in business due to the political protests in the city.
1: Because we were selling California wine to Hong Kong, and the protests in Hong Kong since June 2019 has been hitting all the retail business uh, in Hong Kong, so we talked to the vendor, the vendor say they're not sure the sales will pick up, and uh, they're hoping maybe Chinese New Year will pick up. So they said, well maybe I should go to Hong Kong to talk to them and see how we can do some maybe marketing together. So that was the reason I planned the trip in uh, mid-December 2019 go, uh, to Hong Kong.
0: And unfortunately this disease broke out in December.
1: Well. While I was in Hong Kong, I was really happy because uh, we have a new police uh, chief uh, talk office, and he was really um, man business. So they cracked down a lot of protesters, uh, and and we could go out shopping without worry too much about uh, the rioters around. Uh, at that time, we didn't know about this uh, the virus around, so we were just you know doing our own stuff. Uh, we went on a cruise uh, too, and. Uh, We got on the ship on December 22nd to Okinawa, to Philippines, back to Hong Kong and landed back in Hong Kong on December 29th and stayed for a few more days and talked to more vendors and come back on January 5th. After we came back, we were still discussing potential uh, shipping more stuff for Valentine's Day, for Chinese New Year, for Mother's Day and stuff like that. And next thing we know is uh, this virus broke out. So at this point, we don't know. I mean, we just uh, keep our finger crossed.
0: And reading the headlines, you know, the flights into Hong Kong have been curtailed. I think there's only like a third of the flights flying now, and the the restaurants, you know, that normally would be full, are not.
1: Well, Hong Kong is a major hub uh, transit point. You know, just like Atlanta, you know, and, and Boston and, and New York. So people are not allowing. Travel from China. I guess now is uh, South Korea, you know, uh, It's banned to uh, to enter Hong Kong, except Hong Kong resident. Even Hong Kong resident, when you go in, if you travel through China or right now to South Korea, you have to quarantine yourself for 14 days. So I look at some of the pictures my friends sent me uh, when they pass through Hong Kong and it's like a ghost town. In Hong Kong, Hong Kong Airport used to be, you know, a very busy airport. And I love the restaurant there because there are so many choices. And the price is almost the same, like in town, you know, it's not high price. So, so I look at it, I say, are you kidding me? I mean, it's, it's like nobody around. So it's really bad.
0: Unfortunately, then, what the sales have not materialized that you had hoped over the over the new year.
1: Well, like I said, you know, first, a uh, great president <laughs> increased the tariff. You know, so China retired. Next thing is the riot. So say now you have this virus, I mean, it's, uh, it's even more deadly. So, mm. so it's, uh, we will see.
0: How are other businesses faring?
1: Well, half of our members are actually outside of Hawaii, not all in Hawaii. They are all very worried because um, the production line in China, they are having a hard time to staff the people. In fact, they have a hard time moving the people into the factory. So, so, it's a very difficult position for either importer and exporter right now.
0: You were traveling in Asia. What are your thoughts about the response in Hong Kong versus, let's say, Singapore or other places in Asia?
1: Well, of course, you know, whatever you do, you know, there are always some people who complain about it. I think Hong Kong air could be a little bit faster because a lot of people said we should close our border. But it's very difficult for Hong Kong, which is smaller than the island of Kauai, and also an international trade hub to completely close off the border. In fact, there are tens of thousands of people travel across the border to go to work. Uh, So it's very difficult. But eventually, Hong Kong did close off the border or put restrictions for the people coming in from China. So, so far, uh, there are not too many cases. The cases are increasing, not because they are infected by people from China, but because, by Last week, there was a police retirement party. They have like quite a few people they <laughs> spent four hours together, and all these fifty police officers are now in quarantine right now,
0: right. so it's a concern, but just about the spread of it and yeah, and also you know going to other countries like we're seeing in in South Korea, the outbreak over there and the
1: restaurant business is hurting because uh, right now people are afraid to to sit around the table to to eat I mean, if you talk, you don't know so Restaurant are hurting, Hawaii restaurant is hurting, you know, Chinatown is hurting in Hawaii, and so is San Francisco, San Francisco is down by 50%. Hawaii Chinatown, I talked to my client, it's down by 30%. So it's the rumor going around, people are not comfortable. They're just nervous. Just, just nervous, you know, it's uh, life and death because this kind of stuff is new, it, it's unknown, right? So especially for older people, and people are uh, young or old, older, they hit them the hardest. I think even if the virus is under control, or somehow you find a cure for it, I think it will take a little while for the business to ramp up. I'm, if lucky, we're probably looking at in August or September, the Moon Festival, which is like the Valentine for Chinese. Um, We are just uh, watching it day by day, you know, because um, the situation in China is under control. But the virus is popping up around the world right now. So you don't know uh, how bad it could be. And I also worry about Hawaii too, you know, because we are so dependent on the air travel. Imagine if somehow uh, people start shutting off like one country after the other, that because of the situation, they can come to the US, but they have quarantine for 14 days. Who want to come to Hawaii, they have to be quarantined for 14 days, right? That will be more worried about that right. situation.
0: Yeah, we saw the downturn with SARS,
1: 9-11. Yeah. SARS was it's more deadly, but it didn't last that long. Okay. But this one is uh, passed from human to human. And you don't know. They haven't really identified what they call uh, the source. They suspect they are source. But then when they are transmit, people transmit the disease in other places, they could not pinpoint where it came from. They could pinpoint some of it but not all of them. So World Health Organization is working with China uh, and other countries trying to find the problem or try to find a way to cure the disease.
0: Right, and and so your concern is if there is any effect on our economy that it it doesn't last very long and it can bounce back.
1: Yes, yes, you know, and and we are so dependent on the tourism. So I'm more worried about here than the mainland because we are... You know, our tourism is basically our biggest uh, hire the most people in Hawaii. Yeah. And
0: and so, um, uh, what are you telling your members?
1: I wish I have the crystal ball. I mean, I know our uh, companies in uh, I work in Asia. Like a lot of like the the jewelry store, like they have a hundred store. They close down like forty percent of it. And one of the big cosmetic uh, retail store called Sasa, they shut down almost one-third of the operation. So a lot of the people, the wage earners, are losing the jobs. The restaurants are losing the jobs. The hotels are laying off people. The hotel is, has like 40%, 30% occupancy. Hong Kong used to enjoy 80% occupancy. So it's bad, it's very bad. So they tried to hang in there. That's yeah. all I can say, to try to hang in there.
0: And and your thoughts on how it's impacted the protests?
1: Well, <laughs> the side effect is because of the virus. You know, the protester is not uh, so aggressive on the street because they are afraid that they may pass it among themselves. So there's still a protest, but usually there will be protests in different districts at the same time. Now it's like worry, uh, one place at a time and it's more easy for the police to go after them, and they are catching arrest more than six thousand so far. Wow! So I feel sorry for the kids because the, those kids had uh, ruined the future because with a arrest record, it's very difficult to go overseas.
0: And so, um, gosh, you're just gonna sit tight then, and 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 hopefully that this thing will uh, will ease up yes. before August.
1: Yes, before August. Hopefully. Hopefully in a couple of months. I mean, uh, China side is pretty much under control right now. But the other part of the world, that's why I worry. Because the way China controls the disease, you know, you can criticize them. But they can lock down a city of 11 million people. Try to lock down whole city.
0: Hard <laughs> right? to do. Yeah. <laughs> if <Right? laughs>
1: they're not going to, they're going to scream.
0: We have been talking with Johnson Choi of the Hong Kong-Hawaii Chamber of Commerce about weathering the political protests and now this outbreak of the latest coronavirus, COVID-19. is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard (laughs) quiz. Today's Backyard Quiz looks at a local real estate developer whose projects and foundations still affect people today. Born in 1912 in Anahola, Kauai, his family, which included himself and 10 other children, moved to Honolulu for more opportunities. He enrolled at St. Louis School, where he was named class president twice and became a champion boxer. He graduated in 1932 and began taking night classes for insurance and real estate. He married, had three children, and by the end of the decade, he took over the family business at Damon Tract, which is now the site of the Daniel K. Inouye International Airport. In the 1950s, he and a business partner purchased 233 acres in the area and redeveloped it into the Airport Industrial Park. He developed housing in Waialua and the Honolulu Country Club. During the next decade, he was part of the team that built the Chinese Cultural Plaza in Honolulu's Chinatown. His pinnacle project, however, was Kukui Gardens. When it was built in 1970, it was an 882 unit apartment complex for low income residents with a park and community center. The money he made on the project went to his foundation. Who is the real estate developer that we're talking about? Call 941 3689 or 877 941 3689. If you know the answer, the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right.
2: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Locations, welcome home.
0: Accelerator is looking for its next set of companies to help combat climate change. Over the past decade, the nonprofit has funded $36 million to 99 startups and help them grow, test their products, and reach new markets. The Accelerator receives funding from the government, including the U.S. Navy, philanthropists, and corporations that are looking to innovate their businesses. Don Lippert is the CEO of the Elemental Accelerator. She spoke with The Conversation's producer, Jason Ubai.
3: Elemental Accelerator is a nonprofit organization, and we fund startups who are solving really important challenges that businesses and local agencies are seeing related to environment and climate. So um, we work in the sectors of energy, mobility, food and agriculture, water, and then industry and circular economy, which includes things that are important to the islands like plastics and other kinds of materials. Um, So, as I said, we're a nonprofit. so far we've funded 99 companies over the last decade or so, um, and we're looking for more to fund who can really help uh, with solutions for local businesses and uh, local government with challenges they're seeing.
2: What are the solutions you're trying to find? What kind of startups are you looking for?
3: So, I can give examples from a couple of different spaces that we work in. So, for example, in food and agriculture, we funded a company called FarmLink Hawaii. It's a local company. Um, that has a technology platform and cold storage and transportation system to connect farmers to grocery stores, restaurants, corporate cafeterias, even individuals, so that those kinds of buyers, let's say a restaurant wants to buy carrots, but X farm is out of carrots this week, but this other farm has carrots, so they can go onto the FarmLink platform and say, oh, I want um, 20 pounds of carrots of these kind." And then FarmLink can work with all of these small local farmers to aggregate um, those carrots and then deliver them to the restaurant. And the restaurant can buy from you know, 50, 60 farms, which is having one delivery and one invoice, as opposed to coordinating with all these different individual farmers. Um, so we find this to be a really important platform for helping small farms in our state um, access markets and helping our small businesses access the small farms. And then another example that is um, interesting to some folks is a company we've Funded called Ampere. it's a hybrid electric airplane company. And sometimes people, when they think about aviation and flying, they think that electric aircraft is really far away. But actually, it's way closer than people might think. So later this year, we're going to be flying the hybrid electric aircraft from Ampair on um, Kahului to Hana route in partnership with Mokulele Airlines. And Hawaii Department of Transportation has been a really key partner in this project as well, in making it successful. Um, along with Hawaiian Electric and other partners. And this uh, kind of innovation is really important because it significantly reduces the fuel cost by half or more of flying these routes. And fuel cost is a major contributor to um, the airline's operational costs. So it's important for the uh, airline's bottom line in the future. And then the other thing it's really important for is being able to train pilots. Right now, um, to train pilots is really expensive because we've you know, burn a lot of fuel just in the training of them. So if we have more efficient aircraft, we can train many more pilots. It's really important for our islands since that's how we are all connected.
2: Well, when is that going to be launched?
3: That'll be later in 2020. So that's a company that we funded about, you yeah, know, we've worked with them for over a year now to, to put all this together and really excited to get the plane out here. And I think it's one place where Hawaii can really be, um, on the cutting edge and also see the benefits the earliest from these kinds of solutions. In addition to the you know, carbon reduction and cost reduction, these kinds of efficient aircraft have a major effect on local air pollution as well and what people around airports
2: experience. I understand there's a, almost 800 applicants you had uh, in 2019. I'm sure you're expecting uh, a few hundred again this year. How do you vet these companies?
3: So in the first quarter of the year, first from 2020, we are looking for companies. So Um, Last year, as you said, we had about 800 applicants from 66 countries around the world. So really kind of shaking the trees and saying, these are the problems that we have. These are the kind of things we're looking for. I'm looking for innovators and companies that can help address those. So that time in the first quarter, our applications close on March 26th. At that time, we then go into due diligence. So we start looking at which companies seem like they're the best fit for our geographies, which are Hawaii, California, and the asia Pacific. Um, and we start learning more about the companies, the teams, as well as how their solutions might be able to fit here. Also in that process, we do something um, we call community marketplace, which is not like the marketplace on NPR, but essentially what we do is uh, invite in community members in these different sectors to look at the solutions and get a sense of whether there's something that would be impactful in their sector. And that's actually how we ended up with FarmLink Hawaii as a portfolio company last year, because we got together, so many of the farmers and agricultural stakeholders here in the state, they said this kind of solution is something that would be really helpful and needed across the the supply chain in Hawaii. So um, it's really important feedback from us to get the community feedback before we make selections. Then we finish our diligence, and around the August timeframe, we make offers to a select number of companies. And that time, those companies will be funded anywhere from $200,000 to $1 million per company, depending on the track they're in and the project we're funding. And then we bring all of the companies out to Hawaii for what we call kickoff week in October, and we have an event that we invite community members to to meet the companies and also see how they can engage in the project. I mean, this is much less of a show and tell and much more of like, let's roll up our sleeves and see how we can all work together um, to deploy some important innovation to solve problems.
2: Everyone meets here in Hawaii, and uh, you guys are based here. Why is it important to be here in this place?
3: We started in Hawaii as our headquarters, like I said, almost 10 years ago. And the reason we started in Hawaii is because Hawaii has this very unique set of factors, which cause some challenges here, but also opportunities for entrepreneurs. So, for example, we have really abundant natural resources, sun, wind, wave, biomass. On the renewable side, we have islands, which make it... a perfect place to drive electric vehicles since you know, you're not taking a 1,000-mile road trip anytime soon. Um, So we have this really interesting um, place to test electric vehicles and electric vehicle networks. From a food and agriculture perspective, we have year-long growing seasons. And from a circular economy and materials perspective, we have a huge pain point around plastics and a lot of desire among the uh, local population here to address what what people see as a real plastics problem across, across the islands and across the world and to really lead there. So, so there's a number of factors that we have geographically. And then I would layer on top of that that we have some of the highest energy costs in the country. So our costs are, tend to be around 2x for electricity, what the mainland pays for electricity. And so that means that all of the alternatives, so efficiency and these other kinds of alternatives make a lot of sense here, as does solar and other kinds of renewable energy. And the final thing I'll say about why is that we have real policy leadership here and, and real political will to get off fossil fuels, largely because it saves us so much money. We did a study just over a year ago. We commissioned some, some experts to do a study looking at what's happening right now with the cost of, of energy versus fossil fuels and found that by accelerating our transition to clean energy – we can save about $7 billion. So we can go to clean energy much faster than we had originally thought when we set up the initial laws about a decade ago here in this state. And if by going faster, we will save a significant amount of money.
2: I understand that the cohort, the companies you select are from all over. Is there a focus on trying to find locally based companies here in Hawaii?
3: Yes, absolutely. So we're really interested in finding solutions that are homegrown to solve some of the challenges that we have here in Hawaii. So, um, I mentioned FarmLink Hawaii. Another example is a company, Shifted Energy, um, which is founded by Olin Lagan here. And that company um, uses electric water heaters that are already uh, deployed in many homes here in the state and uses them as batteries. So you can imagine that we have a lot of solar energy in the middle of the day or a lot of wind energy at night. And if you could actually preheat your water or through those electric water heaters, you could essentially use them as one big battery that's already deployed on the grid. So that company was started right here in Hawaii. We've been working with them for over five years, and now deployed. we deployed with them in Kapolei Loft out on the west side. Now they're deploying more broadly with Hawaiian Electric, and then we're also working with them to scale in Europe and in Australia. So it's a great example of how by Fostering this kind of innovation community and by having local businesses here that are willing to partner with these kinds of companies, we can actually grow companies here that are really globally relevant and can grow beyond our shores.
2: For the startups, what uh, should they expect if they get selected?
3: Yeah, so for startups that we work with, um, because in these kinds of solutions, water, transportation, agriculture, it takes quite a long time for some of these technologies to come to market. So we work with companies for anywhere from one to three years, and I like that we fund them $200,000 to $1 million per company, depending on what the project is, and uh, work with them to co-deploy those, those projects together over the course of, of one to three years. So startups can expect to have a lot of extensive coaching. We have a bench of, of coaches, But actually, um, HTDC has helped support. We have a terrific partnership with HTDC and with others in the state. And we coach companies on how do you scale up, how do you manufacture. We do some executive coaching. So all kinds of different support that we apply really surgically based on what the company needs at that exact time. And no company is ever at, at Every company is always at its own stage. <laughs> so, you know, 99 portfolio companies we've funded, you can think of it as 99 different stages. So making sure that we're customizing the support to what the companies need at that time. That's what companies can really expect. And a significant piece of what we do also is building community of company builders. Um, I think one of the most important things for startups, for entrepreneurs, really any business leader is having a cohort of other business leaders to learn from. One thing that a mentor of mine recently said was there are two forces that are moving incredibly fast now in our world, faster than most businesses can adjust, and those are technology and climate. And so the way to sort of understand and be able to pivot and um, ensure your business can thrive through these huge changes is really to be talking to others in the market and learning as quickly as possible into how to adjust and how to make the most of them and how to manage risk around them as well. So I think that piece of having um, a core network of people that you trust and people who are building companies and trying to solve similar problems is one of the most valuable things that startups get out of our program. And I'll just give you one example, which is that last week we were in Hana, Maui, for our annual CEO Leadership Summit. And so we had over 50 companies that came out to HANA and spent a couple of days really digging into just really this place. We did community service. We went to a farm. We did some cultural things. But then also we just spent a lot of time with each other, talking about how they're growing their businesses, talking about the challenges they're having and how they could help each other solve them. Um, One of the topics that I thought was interesting that came up was this idea of self-care as a leadership skill. And when you're building companies or when you're – have a lot of responsibility, this is a long game. (laughs) And so having a sense of how to really be in it for the long haul and take care of yourself um, is something that was a hot topic among our CEOs. It's a long game. I think one of the things that we actually have to offer from Hawaii is the understanding of, you know, how family and community and being a whole person enables you to also be a leader to solve problems. Um, You know, we're really rooted in this place and in, in the values here. I think it's one of the things that I've learned here, and I have a baby daughter now, and so I'm learning how to practice that myself. Um, but I think that's one of the things that, that Hawaii actually can can really teach others around the world and that people kind of look to us for what are those guiding values and how do you really live them um, in your family and in your work.
2: All right, Don Lippert, CEO of Elemental Accelerator. Thank you so much for talking with me today.
3: Thanks so much. Appreciate it.
0: And Elemental Accelerator is currently accepting applications to join its latest cohort. Uh, Don Lippert says the initial application process only takes about 10 minutes. Even if your company isn't ready to join the cohort, she encourages founders to still apply to join their network and receive invitations to events. Interested applicants can find more information at ElementalAccelerator.com or visit our website, HawaiiPublicRadio.org. Application deadline is March 26.
3: I'm Stephen Dubner.
4: On the next Freakonomics Radio, we hear how Spotify, an alleged disruptor of the music industry, has in some ways become the music industry.
5: So in a weird way, while we want to democratize music, we've kind of become gatekeepers as well.
4: And how valuable is Spotify, really?
5: People always said, well, Spotify is so amazing, and my response was always, well, it's not saving lives.
4: That's next time on Freakonomics Radio.
2: This evening at 7, following Counterspin.
0: Honolulu Civil Beach Reality Check segment today is on the trail of former House Speaker Calvin Say. He's said to be eyeing a seat on the Honolulu City Council. Reporter Blaze Lovell joins us live this morning. Good morning. Hey, Catherine. So you found out about this on the coconut wireless, huh?
5: Yep, and it's not just the coconut wireless. It's really going across the airwaves through lots of people in local politics and in the house and we caught wind of it and you know this is going to be a pretty important you know race not just for the house seat that will now be empty but it's also going to be part of determining what the new city council will look like we've got a new mayor coming in there's going to be five open seats on that council, and that's going to be a real interesting race to watch.
0: It's funny because I think the last time I interviewed him out in the field, it was out in his district, and and it had to do with monster homes. So obviously, you know, he's concerned about uh, the uh, uh, issues in that community that he represents, but particularly how it can be regulated through the city side.
5: Mm-hmm. and maybe that is why he wants to retire from his seat in the house and go into council you know he since he lost the house speaker position in 2012 say's power has kind of eroded you know he used to lead the chamber but since the group we call them the dissidents those are led by um the current house speaker scott psyche took power you could kind of see how has faded away over the years but he might find some newfound success in the council you know a lot of Folks in politics here regard him, they call it a retail politician, but really he's the guy that has a good ground game. He goes to all the neighborhood board meetings. He goes door-to-door to to folks talking about problems. And I've heard from a lot of people I spoke to yesterday that a lot of the problems in his district in Palolo, in St. Louis Heights, they're really city issues and not necessarily state issues. Things like infrastructure, things like you mentioned, monster homes and housing. Um, things like crime in the district. Those are things they could all focus on as a city councilman.
0: He's yet to formally announce though, right?
5: Yes, he's he's basically done everything but formally say that he is a candidate for that city council office. Um, But a lot of people in the know know that he's not going to run for his house seat again.
0: Right, so who is he uh, potentially up against if he runs for council?
5: So in the council... He he's probably the most experienced politician. The other two we have uh, a guy named Dan Watase. He was he led community opposition through that to that big Ala Canal flood control project. Uh, the other is Phil Lee. He's a formal he's a former staffer to Councilman Tom Berg. But you, you know, say he spent almost his entire political career in the House, almost forty something years. So he's got the experience people think that he's going to make a really good run for that seat um, yeah as I, for the folks sorry go no, ahead
0: know i have interviewed dave watase um, you know on the alawai flood project uh, that's i think you know how his name is out there because of that issue
5: mhm as for the folks running for says probably open seat you know a lot of them are well, all of them are newcomers to politics here but they're not necessarily political newbies you know Becky Gardner, she was a legislative lawyer. Rich Turbin, he's a trial lawyer. Jay Ishibashi, worked in the county, worked in the mayor's office, now in industrial relations. And Jackson Sayama, the youngest candidate, but also not a newbie. He interned in Senator Schatz's office, and he's now at Island Holdings, Colbert Matsumoto's company. So these are all folks that are really plugged in. So it's going to be really interesting to watch this seat for Palolo.
0: I know you had mentioned Richard Turbin. I think he tried for city council... For East Honolulu but it's his son Derek right that's running
5: yes yes sorry Derek Turbin his uh, son is running also a trial lawyer
0: (laughs) right so uh, some newbies to politics folks to watch I guess it's just gonna boil down to see who gets out there and uh, goes pounding the pavement and goes door-to-door
5: Right, it's going to also be interesting to see what kind of support these folks get. Now, we looked at their most recent campaign spending donations. They haven't gotten much, but it's a long road to the elections, Catherine, and we know there's going to be lots of time to drum up some support for their campaigns.
0: Yeah, I was looking at your your story online and saw the comments, and I know the issue of where Calvin Say really lives is still dogging him, even after all these (laughs) years.
5: Right, that's something he fought off before, and I I wouldn't be surprised if someone brings it up again, especially since folks are already bringing it up already. Right,
0: all right. Well, thanks so much, Blaze. Thanks, Catherine. That was reporter Blaze Level with today's reality check. Uh, read his story online at civilbeat.org.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the U.S. Census Bureau, dedicated to providing current information about the people of the United States, now hiring census takers for the 2020 census. More at 2020census.gov jobs.
0: In today's Backyard Quiz, we look at the real estate developer of Kukui Gardens. In 1967, he won a contract to develop a, an affordable housing complex near Chinatown in Honolulu. He formed a nonprofit foundation in his name to develop Kukui Gardens. When it was built in 1970, it was an 882 unit apartment complex for low income residents with a park and community center. The developer passed away in 1985 at the age of 72, but his foundation continued to donate to charity. In 2007, it sold Kukui Gardens to Carmel Partners, Inc. and the state of Hawaii for $132.5 million. The foundation's mission is to help Hawaii's sick, needy, and aged, and has awarded grants to healthcare care institutions and schools. You've probably seen his name on many buildings. We're talking about Clarence T.C. Ching, and he's the answer to today's quiz. Congratulations to Gail Harimoto from Pearl City. You were the first one to get it right. We got multiple calls on this one. If you have an idea for a quiz, please send it to talkback at org. This month, the Society of Professional Journalists launched a drive to attract new members. Believe in facts and the journalism that is critical to our democracy. Well, we asked SPJ to share a song from the recent Gridiron Show that tipped our hat to the addition of Hamajang to the Oxford English Dictionary, Pigeon to the Max. We just wanted to have a little fun this morning. Take a listen to a delightful ditty that showcases some wonderful witty writing.
1: Some little bugger gonna come wide eyed. Some little bugger gonna come up a bite. Some little bugger gonna come wide eyed. Some little bugger gonna
6: come up a bite. And now at last the printed page has got the printed page in Oxford Dictionary, just like Spotlight learned learning sage. And then that mean we come high class and now oh, a football spell. But Howl is using pigeon words. Hey, pal, that's a spell. Hey, hey. Oxford English
2: Dictionary,
1: adding words in pigeon. Cutting through the holy talks,
3: just like <laughs> it leaves a vision. Clean and sharp, we make one purple, raise our great Oxford English Dictionary, adding words in paper. Oxford English Dictionary, adding
1: words in
7: I love that parody and satire. And that uh, song was thanks to Robbie Dingman and Bill Sage, key contributors to the popular Gridiron Show, which is a fundraiser for the Society of Professional Journalists. And uh, the two of them are joining me in the studio. Thank you so much for being here.
6: Well, hello. Nice to be
7: here. It's always a pleasure to be here. And so tell us about this song, Bill, because uh, we can thank you for, uh, for writing this.
6: Thank you very much. It was... Uh, <laughs> An inspiration, we sit around at these writers' meetings, and Robbie and Kiyoki and a lot of folks really have a lot of inside of the news say, this has been happening, that's been happening, and one day at a session they said, hey, the Oxford English Dictionary is adding two pigeon and of course it immediately, Oxford English Dictionary added just the sound of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and it, sometimes the songs practically write themselves, so that one... This, the, the phrase itself was a giveaway for what song to use. Them. Yes, write that. Okay.
7: Yeah. Thank you, Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Robbie, you know, for the folks who aren't familiar with the gridiron, I mean, it's just a wonderful evening of just belly laughs. It, 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 you po- poke fun at the at newsmakers and uh, life in general in a way.
4: Yeah, it's a it's a news based humor, so we love it. It's our it's our version. People who've never seen the show sometimes they say, "Oh, it's the our version of Saturday Night Live." And we put it together with uh, news folks and uh, people. Uh, Bill is one of our most prolific writers, and we have news folks from radio, television, newspapers. From who've worked in television, who've worked in uh, any kind of news a long time ago sometimes, and uh, very recently new people. So we it's, we come together as a community, and it's a lot of fun. And then the best thing about it, of course, is
7: that we raise money for internships for the next generation of journalists. The talent, the, the, the sheer production values of this show has just you know gone through the roof i mean i think that's the one uh, thing that i hear from the community is wow just a number of talented people that we've got in this community
4: well thank you we love to hear that um uh, my co-artistic director Kyoki Kerr has a lot to do with that. He's like our um, our leader, our inspirational leader in so many ways. Kyoki has also brought in people from Boy Opera Theater and from the Symphony and from the theater community. And then we're also blessed by other professionals who've helped us along the way. Sometimes po- there are dual talents, like Kyoki and Anna Gomes, for example, are amazing. One of our amazing choreographers. Then we have professionals whom we get to know in the community, such as Kimmy Balmalero, who's a comedian and an actress and she's been our director the last few years. Anya Chang has also been one of our talented directors and our amazing musical director Rosalind Katrakia. So we combine the crazy genius that we come up with uh, us amateurs and then we combine with professionals who help us out and people who like Bill and Keoki have a little bit of each and so we can re- you know, rely on them to come and, together. And Bill
7: like how many songs have you written for this show over the years i started it in
6: 1994 when it was still called summer follies i believe but i've i've written about 500 over the course of quarter century and more and probably by 2000 we would figured everybody could write used to be me and ben ben Gutierrez. would we'd write the whole show and then after a while our brains started turning to tofu and (laughs) why don't we just let everybody contribute and have everybody vote on it so we started doing that around 2001 or two, and the point was, if, oh wait, my song's not, you have a thick skin, you're doing this for a good cause, so some don't get in, so what? The thing is, you keep working because it's there to help the Fourth Estate stay around and to poke fun at the people who need poking at.
7: And you normally don't give credit to some of the writers because some of the stuff can be kind of biting. <laughs>
6: if I may, um... Having been self-employed, the only person who can fire me is me. Okay. So it, I got no pride.
4: So in this case, yes, we can identify <laughs> Bill. But there are other cases where, indeed, we we write about people we cover and we write about people's bosses. And so we don't want people to get fired. We know we need to keep our day jobs because for most of us,
7: uh, doing writing comedy is what we love to do and we don't get paid to do it. So that's kind of the, why we do it that way. And one of the best things about the show is that we get some of the newsmakers to come in and sit in the audience and, and sometimes, you know, join in. <laughs> It's good fun. Indeed. I mean,
4: so many people are such good sports. This last uh, show, we had, you know, uh, the governor, we had the mayor in the house, we had Senator Hirono in the house, and over the years, we've had the governor and uh, Ed Case, who was being lampooned, got up and did a turn of his own. So, yeah, it's nice to see people have a good sense of humor and know that it's for a good cause. And uh, it really is important. I I know I got my career kickstarted by uh, Gridiron. I got my first job as an intern at the Star Bulletin, and at Honolulu Magazine, where I work now, we've had some amazing interns, including Ashley Muzuo, who's now a general assignment reporter here, and over at Civil Beat, Eleni Gill. Those are just some of the recent ones, and we still have interns, and you folks still have interns. So it's, it's a great cause. It's a, it kind of brings us all together. Instead of going to the neighborhood bar, now we go to Gridiron.
7: There you go.
6: If I've noted over the years, too, that most public officials who are there in office by votes actually have their feelings kind of hurt, and they sort of wistful, and, gee, I wasn't satired in the gridiron list. So <laughs> virtually everybody in the show is a really good sport about
7: it. Yes, I think uh, Natalie Wassa, I think, was uh, was tapped, and in, in, she's a wannabe politician. She's, she actually uh, hasn't got elected to office yet, but she was certainly a good sport and was lampooned this past gridiron. Oh, I should say, it used to be every year. it's not now
6: since 2009 it's been every other year and if i may quickly one thing a lot of people have said after the show gee bill it's a great show but what does it have to do with football i'd like once and for all to set this straight the gridiron show started in 1888 in washington dc when the press club of washington dc called itself the gridiron club and the reason is this in the old days the flatbed press that you put movable type on it looks like a large iron grid And that's why they called it the gridiron. Then in the 1890s, when football became popular, sports writers from the press started borrowing the fact, hey, the football field markings resemble the gridiron. So press people started nicknaming the football markings the gridiron, and because football's taken on such a life of its own if you're not in in the press, you have no idea, but it's really ours to begin with.
7: Okay. The many things you can blame journalists for. Ah, there you go. So so we understand that uh, SPJ's got a conference coming up. We're uh, in the middle of a drive to get new, new members. I guess, why is it so important that we continue to foster the young talent in our community to to go after the truth.
4: I I think more than ever, uh, many of us in our community and certainly your listeners of Hawaii Public Radio have seen what happens when there are fewer and fewer news sources and fewer people being paid to cover uh, the news. It's kind of frightening. I know within the last 10 years, uh, we've closed uh, one of the two newspapers we've had. We've had continuing consolidation of the television stations And I think people do realize that wherever they may rest on the political spectrum, that it's better to have news from people who are aspiring to give fair and balanced coverage. Sorry, that's become a loaded term. But from people who are trying to get it right and tell you what's going on and explain the sources that they use. And I think people are seeing that. And so it's important to inspire people. As much as our industry has changed, that we still know it's important to have people who care getting out there and reporting the news.
7: And I I know in this day and age, with the tensions running uh, so high in our our nation's capital and the divisions that we're seeing in our community, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, you know, as I tune in to the late night uh, uh, shows and they poke fun at the day's events, I mean, it is kind of a, a stress reliever. This comedy is, is true.
6: If you cannot laugh at yourself as well as others, then there's something, I believe, mentally wrong with you. Because sometimes they're said it. That, that's not funny. Oh, they did it. Ha ha! We laugh at them. Uh-uh, that's not the way it works. Comedy is an equal opportunity destroyer. That's the way it should be, regardless of your politics.
4: I and just, we really do work to uh, make our news stories in, in Gridiron. I mean, people sometimes uh, kid us about striving to fact-check so, so many of the different things. But we, although they take flights of fancy and we might exaggerate some things, we don't lie about the news events. We riff on them, so we may go a little farther on something. But we strive very hard to not take cheap shots at people, to not... Uh, make fun of people who are inadvertently in the news. I mean, usually it is the politicians who are more likely, the people who have invited themselves into the spotlight as our leaders who take more of the kidding than, than some of the other people. But it, is, it does allow us to laugh about things when things get very stressful, and I think it brings us all together in a way that you don't find it anyplace else. So
7: we're very fortunate to have that. Right, and this past year it was this is not a drill. Yes. And that, that was-, was great.
6: Everybody went through that, usually in sort of, oh, are we about to die? How can we laugh at that? Well, we found a way.
4: Yeah. Right, exactly. And so uh, we're fortunate that in uh, here in Hawaii we have the Society of Professional Journalists, a vibrant Hawaii chapter uh, led by our tireless leader, Sterling Marita. Yes. And he's amazing, uh, putting it together, um, helping with Gridiron, helping with the annual awards that celebrate good work done in journalism, and also every six years, the regional conference. So regional conference is coming up at the University of Hawaii on March 20th and 21st. And it's called Real Skills for Real News, showing that you need to um, have those. If people in the community are interested in learning more, they should go to the hawaii SPJ.org website, and we encourage people to support SPJ and support the Gridiron and support Real News and support journalism.
6: And we have. Our, every year it's become traditional to end up with that's entertainment. When Frank Fossey was mayor for so many years, we the line was always, if Fossey's around, we will zap him again. And then, of course, Frank is looking at us from the other side and still smiling. So I think we'll keep that ending ad infinitum and just keep changing the words. It keeps our lyricist brain sharpened.
7: Okay, well, Bill Sage, Robbie Dingman, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have been talking with Robbie
0: Dingman and Bill Sage, mainstays in the big production Gridiron Show, a fundraiser for the Society of Professional Journalists. SPJ holds its regional conference next month. For links, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org.
1: Even though I mock them up, mock I them, them with derision. Local folks get <inaudible> intellect and use them with precision. Oxford English Dictionary, adding words in vision. Some little bugger gonna come by and I. Some little bugger gonna come by and I. Some little bugger gonna come by and I. Some little bugger gonna come by and, come by and, come by and The words the Oxford these <inaudible> juice, they win and call
6: them slang.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting For You Fabulous, Fashionable Women, woodblock prints featuring women from the Edo period in Japan through March 22nd. Honolulu
0: Transparency, responsibility, accountability, three words that perfectly describe HPR, and we can prove it. For eight years in a row, we've earned a four-star rating from Charity Navigator, an independent
4: evaluator of nonprofits. This top rating puts us in the top 5% of those rated, and it lets you know that your donations will support a financially responsible and ethical
0: organization. For more about Charity Navigator or to become a member, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. That's it for today. Up tomorrow, HBR's Bill Dorman takes the helm to talk about electric cars and the tax man. That time of the year is just around the corner. Want to listen back to a segment on the show? Find our archive shows on hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.